We're just going to talk about them for a little bit. I like paintings. Uh, and the first one should be up here. All right, here we go. The first one, I actually got to see this one in person, which was exciting. It's at the MoMA in New York City. Uh, does anyone know what this painting is called? Starry Night. That's right. Does anyone know the painter? Right, Vincent van Gogh or van Gogh, depending on how you say it. Um, so this is one of his later paintings, um, right before the end of his life. And I think that we could all agree this is a great painting. People tend to, to like it. Um, so why do you think it's a great painting? It's unique, okay, yeah. It's very distinctive, right? We can't, uh, this, this is a very specific style that he paints in. What else makes it a great painting? Because he's a great painter. Okay, yeah, that's very true. So Van Gogh is one of those uh, great painters. However, in his lifetime, he didn't actually sell all but one painting, and that was to a relative, and it wasn't for very much. So he died not even realizing that he was a great painter, but we consider him now to be a great painter. What else? Why would we consider this a great painting? What did you say? It does have a church in it, right? And, and most of the villages that Van Gogh would be painting around France uh, would have a church in it. But yeah, that, that is a fun little thing there. What else might make it a great painting? What was that? He can paint, yeah. Well, I mean, and so I, an art critic might analyze this and say that the proportions are really well done with uh, the tree coming up. Uh, just where it is and how it's balanced and the colors and things like that. And so there are a lot of things compositionally that would make this a great painting. Um, but but you, you really did touch on it. It's a great painting a lot because of who painted it and because he has a great breadth of work that we respect. Uh, here's another painting. Can anyone name this one? The Mona Lisa, that's right. And who painted the Mona Lisa? Leonardo da Vinci, that's right. And Leonardo da Vinci was involved in lots of different things. He um, dabbled a little bit in architecture. He dabbled in inventing and sketching and painting and even writing music. He does lots of lots of different things. Um, why might we consider the Mona Lisa a great painting? Okay, okay, so there's some mystery about this painting. Yeah, there's a little bit of we're not quite sure what she's smiling at, what she's looking at, who is she. Okay, okay, she's considered to be a Madonna, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting, this, this painting has a really fascinating story. It was stolen um, in it, later on in its history, or, and I think in the late 1800s, sometime around there. It was stolen from the Louvre, and it was missing for several years, actually. And it wasn't really considered a great or famous painting until it was stolen. And be, but, I mean, it is a da Vinci, and so we respect his work. And, and just like we talk about Van Gogh, the fact that he is such a good artist means that this painting is valuable. But really, it was popularized after it was returned, after it was stolen. And it became this really big, famous thing. It's actually kind of small, uh, you'd be surprised how tiny it is if you saw it in real life. Um, and so, but there are some things compositionally that might make it a great painting, but not quite in the same way as the Van Gogh. Um, how about this one? This one's a little bit harder. Does anyone know what this one's called? Water lilies, right. And who's the painter? Monet. Monet. 
That's right, Monet, here's another uh, French Impressionist. And so, um, and if you see these things, I got to see one in Pittsburgh, it's amazing. Uh, the, the one that I saw, he, he did a whole series of water lilies. It would probably stretch from those pews over there to the wall. It's huge, just like amazing, huge paintings. Um, and we consider these great paintings for, because of their size, because of how well he um, does it, and also because they represent the Impressionist style very well. Monet was an Impressionist. And also, he had a great reputation, and so we respect a lot of his works. Um, but it's interesting uh, that, that it keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? That we respect a painter and his ability to, to paint, and so therefore we put a lot of value on his work. And in the same way, tonight we're going to be learning about who we are and who God has made us to be. And the human life and the redeemed human life has a lot of value. And a lot of that is to do with the fact that we are created in the image of God and that we are redeemed by God. We are indwelt by God. We have been bought by God. And so it's not anything in us that's special, but it's the person who's designed us, the person who's been working on our life. And so tonight we're going to be learning about the truths that define believers. And each of these things are very exclusive to the believer. And so the unsaved person can't claim any of these things we're about to talk about tonight. And so I think it's a really important thing that we sing about each of these things. Because God has done something incredible in us, and we want to make sure that people understand that Christianity is, is worth following because it is something different than their normal lives. Um, if we just present Christianity as the same thing that the world might give us in the cinema or on the stage or in books or novels, things like that, then why would anyone want that? It's the same thing that they could get anywhere else. But we have something incredible to offer. We have the gospel. And it's because of what God has done in us and through us and for us that we can sing about all these things. And it's because of that work that the Christian life is different than anyone else's. And it should be something that's attractive. I want us to remember, um, even for the non-musician, you know, we are talking about music, but still these truths are for all believers. These are true about all believers. And they encourage us to be Christ-like. So we're going to be in um, Romans a lot and then jumping around to a few other passages. And we're going to kind of break this down into three categories. Um, And the first one is a right standing before God. God has given us a right standing before him. And the first word we're going to think about as far as our right standing before God is the word justify. The process of justification is Christ declaring us righteous before our holy God. And we talked about God being holy and the fact that sin can't be in his presence. And I think sometimes we can get a, a misunderstanding of that. And we think, well, well, God is holy, so God can't be around sin. But, but that's the, the opposite way to think about it. God is holy, and sin can't be around God is, is a much better way to think about that. Because saying it the other way kind of makes God sound weak, that he can't go into the presence of sin. But what really we see is anytime sin enters the presence of God, it is just obliterated. And so we, as sinful people, can't by ourselves enter into God's presence. And so if we want to come before him and sing, we we can't do that. We can't really have that connection with God unless something happens, unless we are justified, which is the process of God saying, 
and seeing through Christ's blood that we are sinless. Romans 5, 1 through 5 reminds us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we have a joy, we have a hope, we have access, we have a peace with God that the unsaved world can't have because they aren't justified before God. And so just the fact that we can come together and we can pray to God, we can approach him and we can worship and sing to him is a huge blessing that is only possible because of what Christ has done. And that flows right into the next point. We have access to God. So not only are we allowed to stand before God and are we allowed to come before his presence, but we can come boldly and we can come as a child comes to, to his father. We can come with, with joy. Uh, Hebrews ten nineteen says, Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so because we have this access before God. That's not just something for our own benefit, but we want to share that with one another. And so Paul encourages us, or maybe not Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, encourages us that because we have this access, because we can come before God and we are made clean, we need to be doing that together. And so even this emphasis of the privilege it is to come before God, it's put an emphasis on the corporate nature of that, of that access, that we should be doing this together. So those are just two points of our right standing before God. So do any of you have any other thoughts? How can that influence how we sing on Sunday morning or what we might need to sing on Sunday morning? Honoring to God, okay. What? Praising him, right, right. So we, we should be rejoicing in the fact that we can just simply rejoice. You know, that, that itself should give us a reason to sing. Yeah. What was that? Claiming his word. Yeah, yeah. So we need to be rejoicing in, in what he is to us and what he's, what he's done for us, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so songs are like, are like prayers, right? We can pray to God as we sing. So the next idea that we're going to talk about is our relationship with God. What does our relationship with God look like? Well, first of all, we are forgiven. And, 
And this means that that barrier between us and God that uh, the unsaved person feels and is uncomfortable coming to church or even having to have a conversation about God. Why? Well, because that guilt is still there. But we are forgiven, and so we can boldly sing, and we can sing knowing that God has forgotten our sin and has removed it as far as the east is from the west. First uh, John says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We say that we have no sin, but we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so if you catch there again, this idea of our forgiveness is again put in a context of, of this corporate forgiveness because it's we walk in the light and not in darkness. And if we lie and if we sin, um, it also says we have fellowship with one another through the blood of Christ. And so our forgiveness ought to encourage us to be living with one another and to be forgiving one another as we, as we follow Christ. We're also accepted by God. This one's kind of a big one in our world, is that everyone wants to feel accepted. And uh, the, the sad lie that we've been sold is that uh, you can be accepted just the way you are, right? That, that you don't need to change, that there, you don't have to go through any sort of transformation. Well, in, in some ways, that's true, right? Because we can love one another and understanding that we are all at different spots in our progressive sanctification and that we're all, uh, you know, working toward that goal. And so, yeah, we all have flaws and we all sin and we're all struggling with those things. But at the same time, we, we don't have this kind of acceptance that's complacent. We, we accept one another and yet we push one another to be more like Christ. And in the same way, God accepts us in our brokenness and in our sin and yet tells us and commands us, go and sin no more. And so the real acceptance is saying, I will help you where you're at, but I will encourage you to do better. And not just, you're fine the way you are and you don't need to change anything. That's a, that's a false sense of acceptance. And Ephesians uh, 1, starting verse 3, reminds us what, what this looks like between God and us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite, us, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so God welcomes us and we, he calls us his beloved. And so this is more than, than just uh, an acquaintance sort of thing. God really accepts and loves us. We have a peace with God, which we read about a little bit before, but um, I think that in 
Ephesians, again, it states it really well. Remember that you were all at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so that making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we have a peace with God. And we have to remember that before we are saved, before we have that change, We are at war with God. We are enemies of God. And so we're asking a lot of an unsaved person to come in to one of our services and sing about how much they're at peace with God. And so if we're going to be singing about our relationship with God, it is going to look very different than an unsaved person's view of that relationship. And that's something that we can encourage them in because we can say, you know, I want you to experience the peace with God that I have and the joy in our, my relationship with him that, that I can experience, but, but you can't experience that until you put your trust and your faith in what Jesus has done for you. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of that, but we should be willing to, to recognize that there's going to be a different response because all too often we expect an unsafe person to come in and enjoy the service just as much as we do. And, and if this is really true, if the unsaved person is at is a war with God, is an enemy of God, that just isn't going to happen. And also notice there that the hostility isn't just broken down between us and God, but uh, one another. And so we should be, again, it seems like every one of these passages puts an emphasis on this corporate experience, that this isn't just something that happens between you and God, but this is something that happens between all of us. We all can experience peace with one another. We are complete in God. And again, this is something that our society speaks a lot to that, you know, you need to to find yourself and you can, you know, become a whole person on your own. But that's just not true because we all have, as as Bono says, by the way, that we have a God-shaped in our heart, right? And God has designed us to have community with him. And until we can experience that, until we put faith in Jesus, we will not be complete. We will not be the whole person that he has made us to be. Colossians 2 reminds us of this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all and rule and authority. And so we experience fullness when we are in a right relationship with God. We're also heirs with Christ. And this is, this is huge because uh, as, as we have inheritances, right, on earth, and so some of us can experience benefits of, of getting uh, to inherit something when, when a relative or a loved one dies. And we get to inherit what Christ inherits, which is, is the kingdom, right? And that's such an incredible, huge blessing. And so not only does God just redeem us and accept us, he even gives us abundantly more than we could ever imagine. Back to Romans, Romans 8, starting verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors 
not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. And so as Paul is reminding us, this inheritance is is more than just the blessings, and it is that, but it's also the fact that we are still here on the earth and we will experience persecution and suffering because we are heirs with Christ. And so we inherit even those things that he experienced. But we are adopted, which is the next one, and that is a beautiful thing that we have been uh, called into the family of God. And, and our world likes to say that we're all children of God, right? And in one sense, we're all made in God's image. But there's a difference between just an image bearer and a redeemed image bearer, someone who has been adopted, because that child then gets all of the benefits of that family, right? They get the protection, they get the inheritance. All of those things are true about that child. And so we are adopted into the family of God. And that, that, this is a huge huge thing. Galatians 3 tells us, now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so those blessings that God has has given to his children are things that we can take part of. We're also God's temple. And this one's a really, really important one because we can often have a sort of Old Testament view of how God works, right? That we come to church because that's where God is. And so we, we have to come here in order to worship him. And well, he is here and among us, and we can rejoice in that. And we, as we've been seeing again and again, ought to worship him corporately and together. He's also in you, and you are now the temple of God. And so we worship God forever. And as long as uh, we are alive, we can worship God wherever and, and whenever we are. And that's a, that's a huge blessing that we can have access to God anywhere that we need to. Also, in the Old Testament, the temple is where people would come to, to see who God is and to find out who God is. And so even the, the Gentiles, they had a court in Jerusalem where they could come in and they couldn't go all the way into the temple because they were Gentiles, but that's where they came to see who God is, to meet with this, this one true God. And in the same way, if you're the temple, then you're where people come to meet God. And that's a huge responsibility, that we have to be representing who God is to the world. And all of these things are, are true about us, that we're forgiven, accepted, at peace with God, completed in him, an heir with Christ, adopted, and God's temple. 
And those aren't merely just blessings for us to enjoy, but they're ways that we can show who God is to the world. Because God created us to glorify him, to bring himself glory, and to to proclaim who he is. And so as people interact with us, they should see that this is a forgiven person, and they're living like it. This is someone who's found acceptance. This is someone who's found peace. This is someone who's complete. Uh, This is someone who's rejoicing that they have a blessing from God that, you know, this person isn't like the, the people of this world. They have a, a citizenship somewhere else. And when they're interacting with us, ultimately they ought to see this is who Jesus is. So in the same way that we looked at those paintings, you know, as, as we come to Starry Night or, or Water Lilies or even the Mona Lisa, we're not just coming there to appreciate the painting. We're coming there to appreciate the artist. We're coming there to see, you know, Van Gogh had such an interesting way of seeing how the world worked. And he had such an interesting way of seeing how light plays around. And Monet had such an, an interesting way of, of, of seeing, you know, what, what the light can do on the water like that. And, and da Vinci's eye for detail. We can see all these things about the artists and what they've created. And in the same way, when people interact with you, our hope is that they would see who Jesus is and not just who you are. We're secondary. We want to make sure that they're seeing who Jesus is. First uh, Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10, reminds us about ourselves being the temple. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, which is gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And so this context, which sometimes we like to to use out of context to tell people not to do certain things with themselves, um, what he's really talking about is, you know, what are you doing to build the, the kingdom of God. What are you doing to, to build on that foundation that is Jesus Christ? And this goes back to even when, when Jesus speaks about the, the wise man who built his house on a rock, and he says, you know, if you believe in my words, you know, they are your foundation. And so what are we doing with our lives that's building on that foundation? Since we are the temple, we ought to be building things that will last into eternity, that will be eternal, not just temporary things like hay, wood, and straw that will be burnt up on that day of judgment. So as we think about all of these things that God has said that we are and all these blessings that he's given us, how can that impact the way that we worship and the way that we sing together? Right, so we are supposed to come ready 
eager to, to worship God for all these things that he's done in our hearts. And it's really, it's too easy uh, and too often it happens that we begin our morning service with a, how are you feeling this morning? You know, and, and honestly, if you would have asked me that this morning, I would say not pretty, not pretty good. Um, I had a, a hard weekend. Um, and so I came to church and I was eager and ready to hear the words of God. And I wanted to, to hear, you know, what, what does God say about me? And what does God have to say about himself? And, and how can I see what Christ has done in my life and, and in his church? And those are the things that encourages us and, and leads us to worship. We can't start with ourselves because our lives are too crummy. We just can't start there. We have to start with this is what God has done for us. And so if we're coming to Sunday morning and not feeling like having to come to Sunday morning, we need to be reminding ourselves of these truths that, you know, I'm forgiven and I'm accepted by God. I'm at peace with him. I'm complete in him. I'm an heir with Christ. He has adopted me and I am his temple. He dwells in me. These are the things that we should be preaching to ourselves in order to prepare ourselves to then respond in worship to him. Yeah, what else can, can we uh, take away from this? What was that? Unified, yeah. It's, it just amazes me how again and again as these passages are talking about these kind of individualistic ideas, they're still reminding us that but we are a body because of this, that we forgive each other, we accept one another, we're at peace with one another, things like that. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, this, this does change the way that we see one another, right? Because instead of just seeing that person as, you know, that other person that happens to sit in the same pew as you, or, you know, oh, that person who sings too loud, or that person who doesn't sing loud enough. Or, you know, well, no, that's a person who's been forgiven, accepted. They're at peace with God. They're at peace with me. Uh, they're complete in him. They're an heir with Christ. I'm an heir with Christ. We're in this together. Uh, they're adopted. They're my, they're my brother and sister, right? They're my brother and sister in Christ. And together we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, right? We, that, it does change how we see one another. And it would make me want to, to encourage you to sing and to be encouraged by hearing you sing as well. That's kind of how all of that works. So the third category we're going to look at is the benefits that God gives us as well. And so some of these do deal with how we relate to God and how we stand before God. Um, but they're, they're really benefits of what God is, has done in our lives. And the first one is sealed. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And in uh, the day that this is being written, <clears throat> sealing uh, a document would ensure that it would get safely to whoever it was going to. But it would also bear the crest of whoever the sender was. And so it would be like this wax seal on a scroll to, to make sure that it's held tight and that the runner doesn't, you know, sneak a peek at, at what's inside. And so when you would get a document like this, you'd see if the seals were intact, and then you would know that the message hadn't been tampered with, is the idea. Um, and so we are sealed just like that. God has stamped his crest on us. And so again, when we're interacting with people, they should be seeing this person is set apart to God. This is someone who is, is different in a good way, um, and this person is living to God. And also reminds us that we have we do have a message 
to give to people. And we want that message to come across clearly as we speak with them. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We have everlasting life. And this is an encouragement for those of us who really, really enjoy corporate singing is that, you know, once we die, it doesn't have to end, that we can go on and sing new songs that we've never heard of that are probably a thousand years old and people are singing. You know, I, I think that's exciting. Or, you know, eventually we're going to be able to sing songs that our great-grandchildren write and, you know, unless, you know, if the Lord tarries. And so, like, this is exciting. We can sing to God forever. We can worship Him forever. First uh, John 2 says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. We also, as we talked about being the the temple of God, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And this is a huge encouragement on those Sunday mornings that you have trouble singing. Because we know that the Holy Spirit um, interprets what we can't express to God, and he knows what we are feeling, and he knows what we are thinking, and he can sing to God for us. And that's an exciting thing. And also, remember that our worship is Trinitarian. We are singing to God the Father because of what Christ has done for us, and through his blood, we are able to do that. And we are singing with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so really, we're just kind of here to let God praise himself through us, which is really exciting. Uh, Romans, back to Romans 8, starting verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit gives us life. And and we do sing like live people. You know, we shouldn't be here like dead fishes as we sing on Sunday morning. God has given us life. And that is something to sing about. Also, we're born again. And and I I really appreciate that phrase because um, birth is kind of a permanent thing. You know, you can't undo a birth if you think about it. And so the fact that we are born again reminds us that this is a permanent thing that has happened to us, that God's regeneration is, is permanent. We can't ever, ever lose what he has accomplished in our lives. First uh, Peter 1 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and abiding word of God. So we are born again through the word of God. And what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to love one another because we are born 
again. And one of those ways that we can encourage one another is through corporate singing. We also have, as we've kind of touched on a little bit here, a new life. God saved us so that we could live for him with our new lives. And so in our old life, we were dedicated to things of the world, things of the flesh, things of uh, self-pleasure. But now that we have new life, we are dedicated to the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. We want to please him. We want to honor him. Uh, Back to Romans uh, chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer would be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, so that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are dead to our sin. And so we, we are a people who rejoice in our new life in Christ. We don't need to dwell on our sins. We don't need to uh, return to them or we don't need to participate in them because we are dead to our sins. And so as we sing, we need to make sure that we're singing about our new life in Christ. And, and it's really easy for us to become prideful and self-focused as we sing. It's really easy for it to become about what we could accomplish for God. But that is a sin, and so we are dead to that. And so as we write music and as we pick music, we need to make sure that it is music that's focused on our new life in Christ, that we are distinct people. So I just have three questions for us to discuss tonight. Uh, The first one, how can we remind one another who we are in Christ? What are some ways that we can do that? So how do we continue to remind one another about those things? Okay, so we need to be singing about them, right? Yeah, okay, so going to uh, a Sunday school class or coming to Sunday morning or Sunday evening or a Bible study throughout the week, um, coming to something that we can be taught and reminded about those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, just encourage people with, and, and it's easy to encourage people with, uh, you know, just kind of half-hearted sayings like, oh, it'll get better, or good luck, you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll work out for you. Well, no, encourage them with the fact that uh, who they are in Christ and that, you know, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, right? Encourage them with the gospel. Yeah. How else can we remind one another of these things? It's easy to forget. 
Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he said uh, in, in First Peter we're reading that he comes to stir us up to, to love and good works, right? That we were supposed to be um, not just being okay with status quo, that, you know, we, we kind of, I mean, if you, if you ever let, like, a, something sit in a crock pot for too long, it gets, like, a crust on top, and, like, that's kind of nasty, so you stir it up, right? You don't want it to become, you don't want it to just sit there and, and, and get gross. You continue to, to stir it so that all those things are, are working with one another. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we live in a world where identity is such an important thing, right? And how you identify and what you identify as. And, and you know, we have like the you do you kind of thing where, you know, you just find out who you are and you be who you are. And, well, we are. Uh, children of God, we are redeemed image bearers. We are united with Christ. That's who we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, one, well, and, and I was trying to find the passage here. Remember the one passage says, you know, there's no distinction. There's no, there's no uh, Jew, there's no Greek, there's no old, there's no young, there's no male or female. In the body of Christ, we are all these things. We are all adopted and redeemed and forgiven and indwelt. You know, God doesn't, like you said, put us into classes of Christian. And, and like we like to do that with our identity, is, especially in this culture. It's all about um, individualism and how my identity is different than everyone else's and how I'm such a unique person. Well, if you want to be something different, be a Christian. You know, that's what, that's what we are called to be. We are called to be of Christ. Yeah, and so as we sing, um, I, I like what you said. You know, we want to make sure that whatever we're singing in America is, is universal to the church, that people in China might be able to sing the same thing because it should be just as true about them as it is about us. Um, and, and it is really hard sometimes to separate our cultural identity from our Christ identity and it is really important that we are Christians, especially in a, in a society that's such uh, changing as ours, that we are grounded in who we are in Christ and not anything else. Uh, so let's move on to the second question. How does knowing these things and singing about them affect our singing? What, is, what does it do to our singing?
Yeah, yeah, it gives us courage. To us in our sin, he builds support for each other. Mm-hmm. And not only that, my song is there, so is everybody else in this congregation. They're backing me up, they're in front of me, or whatever. So we're all in this together to glorify Christ. I don't know. I think that's all taken with it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's a great application. So we're all in this together. We're all backing one another up, as you said, that we are encouraging each other, and we're united in our singing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we want to remind ourselves of what we know to be true, not just what we feel is true at the time, but what we know, in fact, is true. And that really does inform the way you structure your service, because a really um, common way that a lot of churches are structuring their service is to start basically near the world and work your way to Christ. So we start with where people are comfortable, and then we bring them along to where God is. And, and that's really dangerous because, I mean, I need to start getting a, kind of a little bit of a slap in the face sometimes. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what's true about God's word. And, and so I don't have to start off my church service in the, in the mire of the world. I can just start off saying, yeah, you know what? I might have not had a great week, but God is good and God loves me and accepts me and has forgiven me. And I can start off there, and, and that'll create, I think, a much more joyful and much more honest service. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last question there is, what kind of music will we use if we want to focus on these ideas? And that's kind of a broad, because that could be about style or it could be about content, but what, what, what's going to be true about our music if we want to focus on these ideas? Right. Well, and also, um, kind of going off of that, we have to remember that these things are true about us only because of the work of Jesus Christ and only because of his death and resurrection. And so if we sing them about, if we sing about these truths, we have new life, we are born again, but we don't say why those things are true, then an unsaved person might come in and be a little confused and think that those things are true about themselves as well. You know, we have to make sure that it's clear that this is only because of what Christ has done for us, and we can only claim this because of our faith in him. Yeah. So what else will be true about our music? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, so we're not going to ever touch on all these things in one song. That'd be a really boring song, I think, because it would just be like a list of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any other ideas? I would say it's going to be a style of music, and uh, this can change from culture to culture and age to age, that encourages congregational singing, right? Because we are all in this together. We're all supposed to be encouraging one another, and so we want to make sure that whatever style we happen to be using is one that the majority of people can actually sing along with. And, um, and that's, that's kind of really a transient thing, because if we took our very Anglo-Saxon style of worship to, um, to an island country um, or, or another place around the world, it might be very difficult, actually, believe it or not, for them to sing along with it. And so we really do have to understand, you know, what does allow people to, to sing together and um, what has God given us to, to use to produce music and find where those two things meet. And that's kind of what your style is going to be. Yeah. So any other thoughts there?